Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The New Statesman. Thanks so much for listening to audio long reads over the past year. We've loved making them for you. This, sadly, will be the last episode, at least for now. However, do keep listening as we're working on some exciting new projects we think you'll love. From the 20th of November, we're excited to launch our fourth series of Westminster Reimagined with Armando Iannucci, exploring where politics has gone wrong and how to fix it. Armando and Anoush will be meeting policymakers, activists, special guests and actual real-life people impacted by political failures to ask, could politics be different? Find it in the New Statesman podcast feed or search Westminster Reimagined in your podcast player. For now, enjoy this final episode of Audio Long Reads and once again, thanks for listening. You're listening to Audio Long Reads from the New Statesman, the best of our reported features and essays read aloud. In this episode... The Great Private School Con, written and read by me, Melissa Deans. The link to read the article online is in the show notes. On a warm evening in South London, the families stream down sunlit lanes and through the school gates. The light is golden, the children are golden, piling out of Range Rovers with tinted windows. The families are taken, two by two, on a tour of the architect-designed, multi-award-winning campus, through the new concert hall with its vaulted ceiling, and the gardens tended to National Trust standards. Afterwards, they gather for tea and a chance to quiz the teachers. Many of the children know each other from prep school, their parents from their jobs in finance and the law. Futures which the children will one day inherit, all being well. This is what British private schools sell and have sold since the wealthy began educating their children independently of the church at the end of the 14th century. The promise that privilege can be handed down from one generation to the next. At a thousand recent open days like this one, head teachers have reassured parents that this gilded form of education will continue unchanged. But change seems unavoidable, If Labour wins the next general election, Keir Starmer's cabinet, as it stands, will be the most state school educated in history. Labour has also promised to remove the tax exemptions on VAT and business rates that currently save the richest schools millions of pounds a year. Meanwhile, the disproportionate number of private school pupils admitted to Oxford and Cambridge universities continues to fall, from more than 50% in the 1980s and 1990s to 32% Oxford and 27% Cambridge in 2022. 
This autumn, I attended open days at three of England's most exclusive schools, two day and one boarding, to understand how they plan to cope with these changes. In 2023, what makes them worth fees of between 15 and 60,000 pounds a year? To protect their privacy, I have not identified the schools and have anonymized details here, but their core promise is much the same. Invest in your child and they will succeed. If they lose their exemptions, private schools will either pass the cost on to parents, split the difference, or absorb it completely. The wealthier institutions might sell off a playing field, host more weddings and summer camps, or open another branch in China. UK private schools made £29 million in profit from overseas franchises in 2021-22. to But most of all, they will need to persuade parents that a privileged future can still be bought. That the 7% of British pupils who attend fee-paying schools will get the best grades, places at the best universities, the best paid jobs, the best connections, even as society around them strives to become more equal. Addressing a hall full of small boys in blazers, one master told them that their greatest challenge in life would be people thinking they were entitled. They would need to prove that they were not. Over tea and mini quiches in the airy school canteen, the Oxbridge question came up quickly. What was the school doing, one father asked, about the fact that state school pupils now stand a better chance of getting into England's two most prestigious universities? It was more of a challenge than it used to be, was how one teacher wanted to put it. Another described the falling percentage of private school admissions, without irony, as, quote, social engineering. But Oxbridge was not the be-all and end-all, insisted another. Behind him, a list of university places secured by recent leavers was displayed on a map of Britain that showed Oxford and Cambridge at a hundred times their actual size. Students were also headed to Durham, University College London, Bristol and, increasingly, American universities, where a private education is seen as a bonus and not an impediment. In the end, it was about producing good humans, the teachers agreed. It was about who you would be at 25 rather than 18. Admittedly, that was harder to track. For many schools, the big worry about paying VAT and therefore charging higher fees was that they would lose the crucial middle tier of parents, the doctors, solicitors, civil servants, those in the creative industries. These people, one teacher said, were the glue. Without the middle classes, pupils would be either extremely wealthy or on bursaries. Already, an increasing percentage come from overseas. Nobody said it, but while private schools retain their charitable status, Labour has given up an earlier pledge to end it, they will need to look like the aspirational choice, something within reach of the totemic hard-working parent who has made great sacrifices. Could a pharmacist and a GP today afford five years at Winchester, which comes in at £250,000, as Rishi Sunak's parents did? Possibly not, and private education is more vulnerable to reform if it becomes a marginal project for the super-rich. Added to this was the prospect of a cultural shift and a putative Labour government in which just 13% of ministers attended private school. Sunak's current cabinet is 63% privately educated, 
while Boris Johnson's first was 64%. Tony Blair and Gordon Brown's initial cabinets stood at 32%. This is becoming a hostile environment for the independent sector and, worse still, an argument against its existence. If the women and men who run the country don't need a private education, who does? Rumours of the death of private schools have been either greatly exaggerated or a long time coming, depending on your point of view. Graham Greene, who was miserable to the point of a suicide attempt at Berkhamstead, where his father was headmaster, declared private schools doomed in 1934. George Orwell recalled his time at the brutal, loveless St Cyprian's Prep School in Eastbourne as if it belonged to another era, writing in his 1952 essay, Such Such Were the Joys, that, quote, the society that nourished it is dead. And yet they have survived, embraced by Tory governments staffed by old boys and largely untouched by Labour governments, whose old boys feared the charge of hypocrisy and focused instead on the state sector. For decades after the Second World War, there was a stubborn belief on the left that private schools would become an irrelevance all on their own, just as soon as state schools became equally world-beating. Clement Attlee was too fond of his alma mater Haleybury to interfere, and Harold Wilson, a grammar school boy, was not much interested in reform. In opposition, Wilson's future education secretary, Anthony Crosland, had advocated the radical step of assimilating the private sector into the state. In 1956, he wrote, The public schools offend against any ideal of social cohesion and democracy. In power, however, Crosland's 1968 Public Schools Commission settled for a less epoch-shattering proposal of 47,000 state-assisted boarding school places. As David Kiniston and Francis Green write in Engines of Privilege, their absorbing history of British private schools, public opinion was against Crosland. A Sunday Times poll demonstrated a clear majority, 67% of voters, in favour of leaving the public schools as they were. Since then, Labour policy has veered between abolition, Michael Foote, Roy Hattersley, integration and agnosticism, New Labour. Michael Gove, the former Conservative Education Secretary, has attacked private schools more than Tony Blair ever did, writing in 2017 of his, quote, continuing surprise that we still consider the education of the children of plutocrats and oligarchs to be a charitable activity. Like Starmer, who went to Reigate Grammar, Gove, who went to the fee-paying Robert Gordon's College in Aberdeen, made the case for an end to VAT and business rate exemptions. Like Starmer, he was accused of launching a class war, a tax raid, a purge of the posh. This is a constant theme, that the critics of private education are driven by ideology and envy, rather than any genuine desire to improve social mobility. In this sense, some argue, the two main parties are as bad as each other. Anthony Selden, the headmaster of Epsom College, told me he hoped for an end to party politics. Quote, After 10 education secretaries and 13 years of muddle and underachievement, the country needs a coherent long-term policy. By this, he meant ideas such as those proposed by the Times Education Commission, for which he was recently deputy chair, among them a British baccalaureate, 
and a laptop for every child. Selden felt there were bigger issues at stake than charitable status, such as a shortage of teachers and a failure to embrace AI technology. It would be a terrible shame when there is an ocean of accumulated needs if political priorities continued under Labour to trump educational ones, he told me. But can a new government in urgent need of money afford tax breaks while the gap between spending on private and state school pupils widens? This summer, the Institute of Fiscal Studies calculated that average private school fees were 90% higher than state school spending per pupil. In 2020, that gap was 40%. The Times Education Commission had less to say about this, remarking that, quote, some blame the existence of fee-paying private schools for the social divides in education. But the real problem is the failure of the state system to get the best out of every pupil. It did, however, commission a YouGov poll, asking respondents if they would support ending charitable status for private schools. The result was one Crosland could only have dreamed of 55 years ago. 64% said yes. Ask most teachers at an independent school why private is better than state, and you'll get a blank look. You might as well march into a Porsche showroom and ask what's wrong with a Skoda. As one parent recently posted on Mumsnet, where cars are also a popular analogy. Would you drive a BMW or a Nissan? If money is no object, possibly a BMW, right? People pay for a BMW for two reasons. One is they can afford it. And two is they like it. Parents can tell themselves it's a free market and their children are worth it. But the sector also sees itself as delivering a social good. The Independent Schools Council argues that private schools earn their charitable status because, among other things, they take the pressure off a challenged state system and run partnerships with the less fortunate. They are, however, allowed to define for themselves what constitutes a public benefit, having established in 2011, after a long legal battle with the Charity Commission, their right to judge their own social worth. But private schools do cost the rest of us money, through tax expenditure, the money the state doesn't get to spend on other schools, or paramedics, or buses, because it has allowed major participants in the economy to avoid paying tax. This sum, an estimated £3 billion a year, could, for instance, more than quadruple the National Library's budget of £780 million. In the 2021-2 financial year, Eton College, which I did not visit, would have paid more than £10 million in VAT where it charged at 20% on the £50.6 million in fees shown in its accounts. Add in exemptions for business rates, corporation tax on tens of millions in investment income and gift aid on millions more in donations and the taxpayer effectively subsidises an Eton boy at a much higher rate than the average state school pupil. It was hard, sitting in the wood-panelled halls with their oil paintings of alumni and state-of-the-art sound system to think of the primary school fighting closure near me in East London, its modest playground never completed despite the years of cake sales and bingo nights, and not feel a kind of rage on behalf of the 93%. It was hard 
to see the posters for Black History Month, advertising an ambitious talks programme and series of workshops, and not notice that in the heart of London, few of the children or staff were black. Some people will tell you the differences between state and private are exaggerated, but at the elite end, there is a canyon between them. Beyond the prospect of paying more tax, private schools now face the deeper question of what place they occupy in the culture. Institutions that once sold themselves as socially and financially exclusive have discovered a new interest in diversity and inclusion. Many private schools are still recovering from the triple shock of 2020, which, as well as COVID, saw the institutional challenges of everyone's invited, the student-led movement to expose sexual harassment in schools, and Black Lives Matter. In their wake came new African-Caribbean societies, decolonised curricula, LGBTQ clubs, and feminist sororities. Last October, students at King's College School Wimbledon, fees of £26,000 a year, and Wimbledon High School, £23,000 a year, convened a conference at which 22 schools met to discuss, quote, inclusive communities and civil discourse. In the speeches, there was a sense that the children were compromised by the privilege their parents had paid for. How do you square social justice with your own deliberate and expensive social exclusion? If you're enjoying this episode, you might like to listen to more. All our audio long reads are available on their own feed. Search Audio Long Reads in your podcast app or follow the link in the episode notes. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This new progressive mood was a problem throughout the sector, warned Catherine Burble Singh head teacher of Michaela Community School, when she addressed the National Conservative Conference in May. If you don't like the woke agenda, she said, then you had better avoid private schools like the plague. As sure as night follows day, the more privileged the space, the more woke it is. At more than one school I visited, the teachers wanted to place an emphasis on joy and kindness. The children would be stretched far beyond the national curriculum, A's and A-stars were a given, but they would also emerge as accountable adults. They would take part in community projects, tea with the elderly, mentoring state school children, which had the dual benefit of fulfilling the school's charitable obligations and preparing pupils for re-entry to the real world. You will not be in a bubble, said one teacher, though a bubble seemed very much what was on offer. Gone is the emotional repression and physical violence which produce generations of sadists and spies, the cold baths and beatings of Lindsay Anderson's If or Rupert Everett in another country. Starmer plans to spend a portion of the £1.6 billion raised from taxing private schools on adolescent mental health provision, the rest on 6,500 new teachers. In the meantime... On-site counsellors and wellbeing centres are something only the elite schools can offer. 
Felstead School in Essex, fees from £29 to £44,000, is among many to provide one-to-one therapy for pupils and teachers, alongside a, quote, large sensory room with attractive lighting and soft music. If the point is to produce good humans, what sort are private schools now selling? Once this was clear, the leaders of empire and captains of industry, the colonels and high court judges, could you still hint at all this while delivering a stronger side of compassion? For parents who can afford the most expensive schools, diversity and inclusion are perhaps of less interest than smaller class sizes, well-equipped labs and studios, immaculate sports facilities, overseas trips, higher grades and further education teams. One school I visited had a dozen staff, including three North America specialists working on university applications. Research has shown that more private school pupils receive extra time in exams, typically awarded for a dyslexia, autism or ADHD diagnosis, as well as from remarked exam papers. Last year, North London Collegiate Girls' School, fees of £22,000 a year, was among several private schools to be investigated, after 90% of its 2021 A-level entries were awarded an A-star by teacher assessment, exams having been cancelled during the pandemic. The rest got A's. An overreach had given them the highest marks in the country. If exams and university admissions are on some level a game, private schools are very, very adept at playing it. At one school, while children lined their pockets with Kit Kats behind her, a teacher summed up the benefits of private over state. Could your child thrive in a class of 30? Did they have learning needs that required additional time in exams? Did you want to spend every weekend driving them between activities when everything was right here. She gestured to the pool, the theatre, the athletics track, the sweeping stone staircase up to the Great Hall. Architecture was another benefit in kind. Pupils would be at home in the otherwise intimidating spaces of the Oxford and Cambridge Colleges, the Palace of Westminster, the Inns of Court, the Bank of England. In his brilliantly excoriating book, Sad Little Men, Richard Beard recalls his induction into this world, the, quote, total institution of Radley College while a boarder in the 1980s, writing, We passed through the in-between places with their in-between people on the way from one privileged stronghold to the next. Public schools such as Radley and Eton are an education in myopia and arrogance, he argues. And at the recent COVID inquiry, the callousness of Boris Johnson's number 10 has proved his point. Private schools also justify their charitable status with the claim that they are not only for the elite. Means-tested bursaries make them accessible to all, so long as you are very bright or athletic or ideally both. The Independent Schools Council claims that a third of children in private education now receive some form of financial assistance even if only 1% are on full bursaries. But look at the small print and the public benefit grows a little hazier. You can apply for a 2024 bursary at St Paul's Girls' School, which has fees of up to £32,000 a year, with a household income of up to £140,000 
and property equity of 1.3 million, though, quote, where a family owns two or more additional properties, they are unlikely to qualify. Westminster School, fees of 35 to 50,000 pounds, does not have an upper financial threshold for bursary applications. But what about the smaller places, Labour's critics ask, the unflashy boarding schools in underserved parts of the country, the specialist or religious institutions that meet a need the state sector can't? These will have no choice but to pass the increased costs on to parents, who will look elsewhere, and what then? Is the closure of these schools a generational opportunity to rebalance the scales of inequality or a miscalculation? There is little evidence that higher fees will cause a mass exodus to the state sector. The Institute of Financial Studies has calculated that between 3 and 7% of pupils might move, at a cost of between £100 and £300 million, a manageable dent in Starmer's £1.6 billion. For the Shadow Education Secretary, Bridget Philipson, the status quo of a two-tier system is too bleak an alternative. In April, she told The Times that it is inexcusable that we give tax breaks to private schools when we could be putting that money into driving higher standards in state schools. Interviews like this have earned her the disdain of the Independent Schools Council. In private messages, these normally smooth operators agreed Philipson was, quote, very chippy, ignorant, quote, she doesn't know diddly, and easily outmaneuvered, quote, it is very easy to make her sound unreasonable by keeping your cool. The Independent Schools Council hosted a forlorn drinks reception at the Labour Party conference a few months after these messages were revealed, but the damage was done. Not one of the 40 invited Labour MPs showed up. We're not the enemy, one head complained to the Daily Mail. Private schools and their patrons are on the defensive. By retaining their charitable status, they will keep benefits including gift aid, a £10 million donation can still be upgraded into a 12.5 million new sports hall, VAT relief on products and services, and exemptions from stamp duty, capital gains and corporation tax under a Labour government. But for how long? As de facto businesses, they will have to adapt. Already bursars are on a war footing, taking advantage of tax relief on building projects, or encouraging parents to pay several years' worth of fees up front. Solicitors have been instructed to advise on establishing separate charitable foundations, which would be unaffected if schools lost their charitable status in future. Many will reinvent themselves as heritage brands for export, with more pupils in Dubai or Mumbai than the home counties. Growing up, I attended state schools and was a bursary student at a fee-paying school myself, and have benefited from their advantages. But as an adult, I reject the inequality and entitlement at their heart. I'm also not sure that privilege and social segregation is the best preparation for life. I don't blame parents for choosing these schools. But I do blame political inertia for allowing the lie that their subsidy is a public benefit. We should not pretend that private schools are charities or that they aspire to be truly reflective of society. The implicit promise 
at every school I visited and in every brochure is one of exceptionalism, that wealth will buy your child advantage, as well as, and this is unsaid, elevating them away from the wrong sort of children, the disruptive, the unambitious. Private education is a luxury service, diverting money from the state. Rachel Reeves got one of her biggest cheers at the Labour Party conference when she confirmed the lifting of tax exemptions. But the party could be far bolder. The night before her speech, at a fringe event hosted by the think tank Private Education Policy Forum, two head teachers accused Labour of mere sniping and a lack of vision. Where were the big ideas around integrating state and private, for instance, or for more vocational schools? Britain had been obsessed with a question it couldn't answer for too long, said Hans Brookman, the laconic Dutch principal of Liverpool College, an independent school he had transferred to the state sector. It was time for a more radical imagining of what education could be for everyone. At the autumn open days, as the families took their seats in the great halls, the schools played black and white footage of 1930s pupils playing hockey and leapfrog, walking jerkily arm in arm through the cloisters. The headmasters and headmistresses spoke of their love of the school motto, the values these had enshrined over the centuries. Eton's is Floriat Etona, may Eton flourish. Not England, not its values, just Eton itself. The shadows lengthened on the cricket field, and the names of the Oxford scholars, inscribed in gold leaf on the walls, gleamed. There was a reassuring sense of timelessness, that nothing had changed in 200 years, and that nothing much would change. This, in the end, was what private schools were selling, a form of insulation, a golden ticket to the future and to an unequal past, one that many others would like to leave behind. You've been listening to audio long reads from The New Statesman, written and read by me, Melissa Deans. The producer was Catherine Hughes. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.